we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Take the Word of God, please, and turn with me to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter number 1. Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to begin our reading in verse number 1. God has given through Hosea a most unique ministry of prophecy, uh, prophesying to the nation of Israel. And you find in chapter 1, verse number 1, the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so we have the stage set for us, the setting of uh, this account. There were three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, that reigned over the united kingdom of the twelve tribes of Israel. And then after Solomon's death, the kingdom was split. His son, Rehoboam, made some really bad decisions, and so the kingdom was, was split. And now you have a northern kingdom with ten tribes and a southern kingdom with two tribes, of course. There are 19 kings from Rehoboam on in the nation of Israel, and not any of them is what we would consider to be a good king. I mean by that, they did not lead the people of God towards the Lord. They did not lead the people of God to worship the Lord. They led them away into idolatry and into wickedness. And Judah in the south had a, a few good kings sprinkled in there, and because of their of their wholehearted rejection of God, Israel, the northern ten tribes, go into Assyrian captivity about 150 years before God sends the Babylonians in to uh, take Judah into captivity. It is in this setting that the book of Hosea is written. Israel is sort of on the precipice, they are on the midnight hour, if you would, of their captivity into Assyria. It's been about 160 years since Solomon. It's been about 160 years of godlessness in Israel. And God has been faithful to them. He has sent prophets to them to warn them and to guide them and to direct them. And then he sends Hosea, and he says to Hosea, I want you to deliver a message to my people, but I do not want you to deliver it simply in word. I want you to deliver this message through your life. Hosea, you are going to play out my message to my people. And so we come to chapter 1 and verse number 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel." And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. 
And she conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son, then said God, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Hosea is told by God to go and take, as the Bible calls it, a wife of whoredoms. There is uh, some debate here uh, about whether Gomer is involved in this wicked lifestyle before she is married to her husband Hosea, or if she enters into this wicked lifestyle after their marriage. Either way, God tells Hosea what is going to happen in his life. He tells him to take this, uh, this woman to be his wife and that she will be unfaithful to him. And so on a specific day in their lives, they came together and were married they were married just like any other couple would have been married in that day with celebration and with ceremony. They would have stood and exchanged some sort of promises and vows one to another. And can you imagine what's going on in the heart of Hosea as he knows? I hear the words she says, but I already know what's going to happen. I want you to know that Hosea had a, needed, had a need to be loved. Every one of us have a need to be loved. That is the way God's made us. We're designed that way. You learn a great deal about this story really through the names that are assigned to these people. Names, of course, meaning a great deal. The name Hosea means salvation. As a matter of fact, if you uh, would go to uh, further back in the Old Testament, you would find that Hosea has the same name as Joshua originally had. God changed Joshua's name from Hoshea to Joshua. He added on that prefix of Jehovah. So Joshua's name went from meaning salvation to Jehovah is our salvation. And salvation is what Hosea means. And he, of course, is a type of our heavenly Hosea of God, the one who provides for us our salvation. Gomer's name means completer or completion. She was supposed to be for Hosea what Eve was for Adam. She was the help that was meet, proper, fitting for him. She was to be that one that God would do a miraculous work and he would make two, one flesh. And they would be bound in matrimony all the days of their life as God's design was. And so these two are married. We don't know how much time passes between their marriage and their first child, but we read of it. And the Bible says, verse number three, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of the blame, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. Now God does something really interesting here. He does not say to Hosea and Gomer, Hey, what do you name your kids? God says, I will name your children for you. And the first son is born, and God says to Hosea, I want you to name him Jezreel. And Jezreel means scattered. 
God says, I'm going to scatter my people. I'm going to defeat them in the valley of Jezreel. Many believe that this is the time in their marriage relationship where there is a fracture and Gomer as well as uh, their son being named scattered and separated. But this is when she actually leaves her husband. There's no doubt tumult in the relationship and the Bible tells us that there are more children to come. The Bible says in verse number 6, And she conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. God says, I want you to name that sweet little girl no mercy. There's a great question about whether this is Hosea's child or not. But can you imagine what God is trying to say when you name your offspring, when you name this beautiful child that you love so dearly, and God says, name that child no mercy. I have no mercy on you. There's a son yet to come, and the Bible says in verse number 8, now, when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Lo-Ami meaning not mine. There's no doubt about this one. There's no question, this is not Hosea's child. If you'll go to verse number 5 of chapter 2, he says, For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now? For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hand." This is a most intriguing story. It's heartbreaking, but it's most intriguing. God says to Hosea, I want you to take a wife of whoredoms. You know how this is going to turn out. She bears him a child, Jezreel. Possibly bears him another child, Lo-Ruhamah. Has a third child, not by him, Lo-Ami, you are not mine. And then she leaves. She leaves her husband, she leaves her children, and she goes out to live an ungodly and a wicked lifestyle. And the Bible says that when she goes out, this is her thinking. I'm not getting what I need here, so I'm going to go out there, and with all of these people that I'm in relationships with, <clears throat> they are going to provide for me all that I need. They will give me my wool and my flax and my food and my money. They will be the thing that provides sustenance for me and satisfaction for me. And God says she will pursue after her lovers, but she will not overtake them. Let me tell you what God's trying to say. You can chase all of that. 
You can look for happiness and contentment and all of that, but you will never find it. Never. You'll leave God's path. You'll leave God's plan. You'll live after the flesh. You'll live after the world. You'll try to find what's going to make you happy. And you can search all the days of your life, God says, but you will not overtake them. We were talking the other day in class about dreams and reoccurring dreams. And of course, we all, I think, have had that, that dream where you're, you're running, but your legs are just, you know, they're, they're, they're concrete and you can't really run. And the faster you try to run, the slower you are running. And, and perhaps you're being chased by something or perhaps you are chasing something. But we've all experienced that and it's terrifying. And it doesn't matter how many hours of the night you slept, you always wake up in a bad mood, Right. God says that's what chasing sin is. Chase it. Chase fulfillment and contentment in the world. You'll never catch it. You'll never overtake it. And then something crazy happens. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, For she did not know that I gave her her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like you to mark four words there at the very beginning of the verse. I want you to mark these words. She did not know. She did not know. What did she not know? Well, so she thinks, I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to be involved in all of these illicit relationships and that is what's going to satisfy my soul. And she is chasing and she is chasing. And by the way, I want you to know, they did not come all at the same time, all these relationships. They came one at a time. She left her husband, she left her children to go out into the world to live this, this lifestyle. And I would imagine that she probably left for one man. But he wasn't enough. Then another, and another, and another. She's chasing, but with everything that promises fulfillment in her life, there's still the hole, there's still the emptiness, there's still the void that remains, and so it's always another. And she says... This is where my sustenance is coming from. All of these people that I'm involved with these relationships with, they are the ones who are providing my money and my clothing and my food. It's all coming from them. But the Bible reveals to us where it was actually coming from. Look at verse number eight again. For she did not know that I, Hosea says, I was the one who gave her her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Get the scene, get the picture. It's, it's, it's actually quite unbelievable. Though Gomer thinks that all of the, the things that she has that have been provided for her are being provided by all of her boyfriends, if you want to call it that, the truth of the matter is that here comes her loving husband going through the streets of the city, not even knowing where his beloved wife was, not knowing who she's with, asking, do you know where she is? Have you seen her? Oh, I think she's at his house. And this man, out of love and compassion and pity for his wife, literally is the one who provides. He will leave on the doorstep a little bit of money and some food, some clothing. But she didn't know that. 
She thought, it's all being provided for me by all of this worldliness. And she never knew that it was her husband. But then Hosea discovers something. Look at the end of the verse. All of the things that he gave, the Bible says, which they prepared for Baal. Well, now it's gone a step further. Now he finds out, hey, all of that stuff that I've been providing for my wife, I'm trying to care for her. I know she's out living that lifestyle, but I still love her and she's still my wife and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide for her. I'm going to make sure she's as comfortable as she can be. He discovers that all of the things that he is providing for her, her and her boyfriends are taking and they are sacrificing them to Baal, to false gods. Can you imagine the depths that somebody has fallen to. May I remind you and may I remind me that everything that we have in our lives, everything, everything, by the way, we don't own anything. We don't own anything. Nothing. Every breath that we draw is a gift from God. Every second of life that we have is a gift from God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I can talk about my house and my car and my clothes. I don't own anything. I get to borrow it for a little while. That's it. And here's what you and I need to remember. That everything that God has given to us, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's influence, no matter what it is, we're going to take every gift that God's ever given to us, we're taking every blessing that comes from the hand of a good God, and we are either putting it on an altar and sacrificing it back to God and saying, Lord, I will give it to you, I will live for you, I will be as you want me to be, or we're going to sacrifice every blessing of God on the altar of self and worldliness. Everything. Every moment of time, every spoken word, it's all put on an altar. And Hosea finds out that everything he's provided for his wife is being offered to idols. And he says, no more. I'm not going to give you that stuff. You're going to go offer it to Baal. And so he provides for her no more. So what happens at this point? Now all of her boyfriends kick in, right? All these people that she's out partying with, they kick in. They say, well, look, you know, that whoever was leaving that stuff for you, they stopped leaving it, so, so we'll pick up the bill. Is that how that worked? No. No. Like the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son's out in the far country, and he's partying, having a, having a good time, and he's got all kinds of friends as long as he's footing the bill. And then the money runs out. And he says, hey, man, I'm a little hungry. No, no, sorry. Hey, I'm a little short. Would you mind? No, 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 not, not paying that for you. And this is what happens to Gomer. Now all of these men who have promised their love, all of these men who have promised their affection, she finally figures out, she finally realizes it's, it's just talk. It's all words. And may I remind you that every one of the devil's promises is linked to a lie. Every one of Satan's promises in your life to satisfaction and to enjoyment is an open door. And when you walk through the open door, you found that you've walked through an open door into a prison cell. And so now she's stuck. She can't pay her bills. She has to borrow money in order to survive, but she can't pay the debts off. And so there's no social programs. There's no, there's no phone number, no hotline that you can call for assistance. And so as was the practice back in that day, she is forced into indentured servitude. She is literally sold as a slave. 
And the Bible picks up the story in chapter 3, verse number 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. I've marked in my Bible the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, and I've marked and love flagons of wine. God loved Israel, but Israel loved pleasure. God loved Israel, but Israel loved false gods. If you're in the habit, again, of marking things in your Bible, I'd like you to mark a phrase in verse number one and then also mark a, ver a phrase in verse number two. Would you underline or mark, make note of these three words in verse number three? Love a woman. Hosea says, God, she's gone. She's gone, Lord. God says, I know she's gone. Lord, she's out doing all kinds of ungodly things, living a wicked lifestyle. God says, I know. Lord, I was providing for her, but I'm not going to provide for her anymore because she's offering what I'm providing to false gods. And God says, that's the right thing to do. God, she's on an auction block. She's got nothing. What do I do? And God says, I'll tell you what you do. Love her. Love her? Look what she's done. Yeah, yeah. Hosea, love her. What does loving her look like? Would you mark these words in verse number two? So I bought her. God says, love her. Okay, then I'll go buy her. For God so loved the world that he gave not his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me tell you, love always gives. And he loves his wife. And so he goes and he buys her. And he says in verse number two, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and a half omer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. And thou shalt not be for another man, so I will also be for thee. Here's the question. What did Hosea, excuse me, what did Gomer not know? Verse number 8, chapter 2, look at it. For she did not know. What was she missing? What was the thing that would cause her to leave her husband and to leave her children and to go out and look for all of this satisfaction and this enjoyment in the world and in the pleasures of the world? What did she not know? She didn't know how much her husband loved her. Had she known how much he loved her, she, she never laughed. Had she known how much her husband loved her, she would have realized nobody out there could ever love me like he loves me. Had she known the fact that he was providing for her and not all of these other people, she would have thought, wait a second, they have never given me a thing. They've never provided anything for me. And look how good he is to me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right at home. Look at, you would, at chapter number four, verse number one. 
By the way, this is the story that Hosea is to portray. This is, this is the message that he is living out to God's people. And so God says, all right, now let's apply this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beast of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fish of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priests. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. Pretty bleak, isn't it? It's not happy times in Israel anymore. Why? Look at verse number six. He says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I have that phrase underlined, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the phrase in, in chapter 2, verse 8, she did not know, and I've connected them. Look, there's, there's great ignorance that's going on here. God says, my people are destroyed because they don't know something. He continues, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children." She forgot how much her husband loved her, and they forgot the law of God. And the fact of the matter is this. You will never separate the law of God from the love of God. They are eternally and inextricably linked. They are so woven tightly together that you can never separate them, the law of God and the love of God. Because if you ever remove the love of God from the law of God, you've misunderstood both of them. You say, can I have some Bible on that? Absolutely. Let's go to John chapter number 15, please, in the New Testament. John chapter 15, verse number 9. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that in my own life, I have separated the law of God and the love of God. One is to be rebelled against. The other one is to be accepted and and to be enjoyed. Look at chapter 15 and verse number 9 of, of John. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he gets to verse number 13. He's talking about love, love, love. And then he says greater love, this, this agape love, this sacrificial love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his. And then would you do me a favor? Would you make note of that next word? Friends. Go to verse number 14. He says, ye are my friends. If ye do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants. Why? For the servant knoweth not. Hmm, isn't that interesting? The servant doesn't know. She didn't know. Israel didn't know. The servant knoweth not, servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth, 
But I have called you, there it is again, friends for all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. Hold your place here in John 15. Go back to Hosea chapter number three and verse one and listen to the words of God. Then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman beloved of her friend. Can you even fathom this love? I want to be your friend. I want you to watch Jesus as they have him tied there to a post and they are whipping him, they are scourging him and the flesh in ribbons is falling off of his back and then he turns your direction and he says, I'm doing this because I want to be your friend. They put a cross on his back and they march him up Calvary and he's falling under the weight of the cross and as he falls, he looks you in the eye and he says, hey, I'm doing this because I want to be your friend. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And he's there in agony. And the the sky gets dark and, and the cry comes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you're going, why? That's true. Why? Why would you do this? And he looks you square in the eye and he says to you and to me, because I want to be your friend. After I've left you, after I've run after all of these worldly things, yes, I'm trying to be your friend. Let me tell you something. We are viewing the law of God completely wrong. It does not come from a place of hatred. It does not come from a place of of God trying to make you uncomfortable. Uh, Let me ask you, where did the law of God come from in the first place? You see, we imagine that the law of God came somehow like this. God in eternity past is thinking to himself, well, one of these days I'm going to create humanity. I'm going to create the human race. And when I do, they need some rules. They need some laws, right? It can't be a free-for-all. So let's go. Let's just make some up, all right? Triune God, what do you got? What do you got? God the Father says, hey, God the Son, write this down. This is a good one. I don't want them killing each other. Oh, okay, all right, that's pretty good. Oh, oh and by the way, uh, they, they can't tell any lies. You know, they need to speak truth. Okay, all right. And they go, they go on like this, just sort of picking willy-nilly some arbitrary laws. That's how we view God's law. But really, in, in essence, the, the fact of the matter is that every one of God's laws emanate from the character of God, from who God is. God is love, therefore he says, you are to love. God is faithful, therefore he says, you are to be faithful. God says, I am giving myself to redeem humanity. They're the very crown of my creation. They're, they're the peak of all things that I've created. Therefore, their life is more valuable to me even than my own. I will sacrifice it. Therefore, you can't take their life. You see, every one of God's laws is connected to the character of who God is. And I want you to know that the same heart that the law of God came from is the heart that the love of God comes from. And you cannot separate the two. Continue reading in in John. Henceforth, verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. Look, to the servant it's just do it because I said to do it. And that's how most Christians view the law of God. It's a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And you got to go to church because if you don't go to church, then Pastor Hook's going to give you a call and say, hey, I haven't seen you in three weeks. Where you been? I don't want that on my conscience, so I better go to church. Better drop a few bucks in the offering plate, keep God on my good side, you know. Oh, i got to get involved in ministry. If I don't get involved in ministry, my kids will think that I'm a, I'm a bad Christian father. 
And this is the drudgery and the toil and the, and the work that the Christian life has become all because we misunderstand the law of God. It's not that at all. He says, this is how a servant thinks. Henceforth, I call you not servants. I'm calling you friends. I don't want you to do what you do because you have to. I want you to know how much I love you. Can you imagine the God of the universe leaning over the, the portals of glory and saying to you, hey, I want you to live a, a blessed life. I want you to live a fulfilled life. I don't want you to get to the end of this thing that we call our earthly days and have regret and, and heartache and anguish. I don't want you to look back at it all with regret. I want you to look back on your life and think it was a great life. It was a good life. It was a God-blessed life. And so here's how you do that. Here's my law. Here's my rules. And, and look, it's not to bind you in. It's to free you. And we in rebellion say, I'm not listening to your laws. You won't tell me how to talk. You're not going to tell me where to go. You won't tell me what to look. I know what's best for me. I know what's going to make me happy. And the heavenly Hosea's heart breaks as he watches us wander to and fro through this world looking for what we think will make us happy. My friend, we do not sin against the law of God. We sin against his love. We're breaking his heart. His affections are for us. He knows the plans he has for us. He has a way for us. And every time we deviate from that plan, it's not like God just checks a box and goes, well, they broke another one. They broke another one. No, his very heart says, it's not what I want for them. I want so much more. Back up very quickly, John chapter 14, if you would. Verse number 15. Jesus says it very plainly. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may, be, may abide with you forever. Skip over to verse number 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me. And I in you, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, Jesus says. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. You know what the secret is? The secret is, Gomer, discover how much Hosea loves you. Discover from his word how he wants to bless your life. Discover from his word that all of these other things that are calling for your affection and for your time, they are hollow and empty. As a matter of fact, they're worse than hollow and empty. They're dangerous and they're wound-bearing. And come back to your heavenly Hosea. I love this. Go back, if you would, in the book of Hosea to chapter number 2.
chapter 2 and verse number 1. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Watch this. She stands on an auction block, shamed and naked. Nothing to give, nothing to offer. Nobody around wants to buy her. The world's used her. The world's, the world's gotten what they want out of her. And now they say, we don't want her anymore. And so somebody shows up to buy her. Her own husband. And she steps off of that auction block just being purchased. Ashamed. Naked. Picture in your mind this loving husband taking a coat or a cloth of some kind and draping it around her shoulders, covering up her shame. And then he says, no more. Abide with me many days. The Bible never mentions again Gomer leaving her husband. And it is because she finally came to the realization how much he loved her. And friend, if you and I will ever discover how much God loves us, his law will not be burdensome. Psalm chapter 1 and 2 was actually one original psalm. It was the favorite of King David, as the Talmud says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But watch this, verse number two. His delight is in the law of the Lord. You say, how do you delight in the law of the Lord? Isn't it supposed to be some, some chain about, about us, something that weighs us down? David says, no, I delight in his law. You know why? Because David realized how much God loved him, and David loved God back, and he said, look, your law is the best thing for me. It's my delight. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.